my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am Dr. Brian Greenwood, and I am super, super, super excited to be here today with Amanasair Eisner. Hi, Amanasair. Hey there. How are you, Brian? I'm doing great. It is so great to see you. Uh, Amanasair is a 2016 graduate of our program, and she is the owner and founder of Hidden Kitchen, uh, a restaurant of uh, two restaurants in Cayucos and Cambria, California. And if you don't know, um, it has a uh, Hidden Kitchen has taken the area by storm over the last <laughs> few years and just being um, a smash hit as um, as a restaurant, as an experience, as just incredible food. And I'm so excited to talk to Amanasair about how she got to, to that point and, and, and starting and being successful with a restaurant because that is a very, very hard thing to do, particularly... Um, during the middle of a global pandemic. And so we're going to talk about all of that and um, how that came to be. But Amanasair, let's start with um, where you grew up. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Big Sur, California, just north of us, um, a couple hours. And kind of, I grew up in multiple places in Big Sur. I was born at Esalen, which is an awesome retreat center, kind of more on the south coast of Big Sur. And then uh, lived there the first seven years of my life and moved just up north a few more miles to right around where the River Inn restaurant is. Um, and my parents still live there. So that was my upbringing. Lots of restaurants, lots of hospitality. Yeah. Well, yeah. that is that is so wild, Amanasera. So now, see, that's one of the other really great things about this podcast is we discover connections, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, so one of my recent podcast guests um, is Jill Wild. Um, who who just opened Wild Big Sur, and um, and so I'm going to have to connect you with her. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, she would. You guys would hit it off, and so uh, I'm going to connect the two of you. So that'll be awesome. And Jill, if you're listening, um, <laughs> uh, reach out to me and remind me if I forget. <laughs> All right. That's something I love about this community is is and and California and ultimately I think the whole world. We think it's so big, but you just find people you know or should know, and the degrees of separation are so small. Exactly. So it makes sense that you've already connected with someone who's starting a company and big sir and yeah. the alignment yeah it's it's it, inevitable isn't it amazing yeah i love yeah. That. i love that so much so so uh tell us what 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 did your uh, you know there there's a limited um, a number of things that you can do there in big sir obviously yeah. um what what did your parents what did your parents do growing up uh so my mom ran the gift store there was a gift store bookstore at Esalen, and so she managed that for about 30 years while my dad began, uh, he kind of took over the preschool after the founder um, and ran the preschool on site for about 12 years. Um, and then he simultaneously was going to school because he came from Argentina. He came over and uh, was studying psychology. And so once he graduated, he ended up starting his own practice up in Salinas. Uh -huh. um, so my mom actually worked at Esalen up until the pandemic. And my dad's been working in Salinas as a therapist for the last, you know, several decades. And that's what they did. We commuted, you know, nothing in Big Sur is super within right. reach. So it was all right. about to yeah. and from voyages yeah. and, um, of course. but be, yeah, so that what, was, what my, 
it was a place to grow up. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, kinda, God. So, so I imagine that you were really into the indoors. You, um, <laughs> you, you had to have a plug, it had to be plugged in for you yeah. to like it, right? In big Brother. all the time. Tell us, yeah. Tell us about your, uh, tell us about your childhood. I just, I can't imagine having big Sir as your backyard. That, that had to be it, a pretty amazing. It is. I think it's such an, it was such an amazing opportunity to be forced to just kind of get creative to, we had an amazing pack of children that we ran with. And that was foundational, I think, to just the social piece of it for us. Like there, um, so we had our community, we had the social capital. Esalen as retreat center brought in hundreds of of people every month just to come and take workshops. And so we were exposed to culture. Yeah. And we were exposed to hospitality. We were really immersed in the culture of Esalen. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we started working in the kitchen and dishwashing and lending a hand from the beginning of things. And, and, and also, you know, the Esalen in and of itself is such a beautiful landscape that we just had nothing but outside time when we wanted it as well. And it was one of those things where finally, you know, after dinner, my mom's like driving away and she can't find us because we're somewhere on this beautiful property, but she doesn't know where. And it was really safe and beautiful. Um, Yeah, lots of outside time, which I I feel so grateful for. I think it's one of the things that we can do for ourselves as humans just to ground down and like be with ourselves and reprocess and use our bodies and use our minds and yeah so 100 feel really lucky to have had that experience i love it so we've you you've um you've mentioned eslin um a few times and and mm-hmm. obviously i know from my experience with you um what eslin is and um but tell tell our listeners so that so that they know yeah eslin uh has had many iterations i think uh right now well when i was growing up there it's uh it was a retreat center it was a place where people came to take workshops to do movement classes um you could take a week-long workshop a weekend workshop you could actually sign up for a month and be a part of the community and work in the different departments it was i would say the most intact kind of community that i've seen in california mm-hmm. um but it's a nonprofit organization, um, teachers, psychologists, these amazing humans from all over the world come and teach these workshops for people to kind of come and, and experience the human potential movement and find themselves or have, you know, a week away doing an amazing movement class. Um, it's many things. Um, yeah. 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 I was going to say, like, when I asked you that, I was like, oh, God, that's going to be hard. (laughs) I don't know if that did it justice. No, I think you did an amazing job. (laughs) Um, And and obviously, you know, essentially growing up there, I mean, you're you're probably the best one to tell us uh, what it what it entails. But um, so so thanks for that. Um, What about brothers and sisters? Any brothers and sisters growing up? I have an amazing little slash now huge brother. Um, and yeah, so he, he and I were like each other's rocks, you know, you, you find your people and you need your people when you live in Big Sur. And yeah, his name's Emilio. He's an amazing human. Oh, awesome. Shout out Emilio. That's awesome. Um, where's Emilio now? Emilio is living in Marina, California. He went to school down at Loyola Marymount and then moved back up to, um, Monterey County and he, um, works in the cannabis industry actually, and is like really, really uh, like, I don't even understand the words that he uses because it's such oh, an yeah. industry. Um, uh-huh. but so he's, he's doing that. 
Awesome. Very yeah. cool. Love mm-hmm. it. But I hope to get to meet Emilio at some point in life. That's awesome. Um, so tell me, um, you know, so we talked a little bit about obviously the the outdoors and that sort of thing. What else did you get into in terms of your identity when growing up? Like what was your jam? Were you into drama, arts? Like what did what did you what did you find as as like your your, your to help feed your soul, in other words? Yeah, well, I did. I went to public school, you know, once um, we moved off of Esalen property, we we went to there's an elementary school in Big Sur and it's called Captain Cooper. It's a part of the Carmel Unified School District. So we and my dad's from Argentina. So we did start playing soccer at a pretty young age. And that was like when you learn to walk as an Argentine, you are given a ball and then you (laughs) are given an opportunity to kick that ball forward. So um, he was pretty happy recently, wasn't he? Oh my gosh. We were in Argentina for the final. No way. Yeah. Yeah. It was monumental. It was such an amazing experience. Um, yeah, once in a lifetime. So soccer was sports, I would say, were a huge part of our lives. Um, I think it was an awesome outlet. We had not that many people in Big Sur. So we ended up having like an adult and child league where we all kind of kicked the ball around together, which was really fun and really tough. Yeah. Um, and and besides that, my brother and I pretty much just roamed around uh our property a lot like we used our imaginations we like made our own bows and arrows we had some big star mamas help us learn to sew some things for like our quivers for our bows and arrows it was like (laughs) it was pretty alternative but uh we we just um used our imaginations a lot and kind of just created this story on the property that we grew up yeah i love it that's so awesome well so you know, obviously, uh, in in being relatively close to to Cal Poly, I mean, and and for those those listeners who do not know this, like you can go to Big Sur for a day trip to do hikes. Like, um, it's not that far a drive at all. And when I discovered that, I was like, I was so mad at myself because it was like fourteen years of being here in the Central Coast, and I had you know, I'd been to Big Sur, but it had been a long time. And then I realized, like, oh my God, it's like that. You can really do a day trip and just go for a hike, and then, um. It's totally worth it because it's so beautiful. But um, let's talk about that journey from from um, to to Cal Poly. What what was yeah. that like? How did you hear about it? What was the connection? That sort of thing. Oh man! Well, to be honest, there was a moment where I had decided that I wanted to go as far away from Big Sur as possible. It um, I think we all pendulum swing in our lives, and in that time, it was sort of like I want to go have like a city experience. I want to get as far away from nature as possible. Right. Um, and that didn't end up happening, but we did come down. There was something happening at the plaza. There's some musical event. Maybe it was concerts in the plaza on Friday. I can't remember what was happening, but my parents. I had gotten into Cal Poly and they're just like, you got to check it out. You got to check it out. We got to go like have this experience. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go to Cal Poly. Right. So we went, we went and we had that, we, we had the day and it was just sort of like, Oh, this is bigger than this is a town. This is, uh-huh. this is a city. <laughs> bigger than like, Big Sur. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I ended up choosing Cal Poly and I'm so glad I did. I think yeah. it it was much bigger than I was used to and it had more of the demographic of people I was looking for. I think I'd really been deprived of young people my age. And so right. it was sort of like in some ways this that like enough of a shell shock just moving down to something that was a little bit bigger than Big Sur, but it was the perfect counterbalance to what I had. Mm-hmm. Um 
and just, you know, like, I, I mean, I'll never leave Slow County. I love it so much here. And uh, I, I'm so glad that I decided to come down here. Um, oh, that's awesome. I love yeah. that. So, so let's talk about that, the, that time at Cal Poly. And um, I, I like to ask this question, like, is, is there an enduring memory? Like, is there something where you look back and you're like, I'll never forget that moment or, or that this set of friends or that experience or whatever it might be? I think there was a lot like my journey in college was kind of unique because I ended up I think that I actually don't talk about this very much. But the first year that I was at Cal Poly, I was so shell shocked and living in the dorms and having this like yeah. experience was really overwhelming for me so much that like I actually didn't pay that much attention to the school part. And I got kicked out of Cal Poly after my first year. Oh, no way. I didn't yeah. Know. Oh, yeah. 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 So okay. so I kind of like. I think that the first year, the dorm experience was so many things for me and really overwhelming, but really communal too and super, super fun. Right. Um, and then I I left for a couple months and came back because I just really felt like I needed to be here still, but went to Cuesta until I got back into Cal Poly. Oh, um, so awesome. What a story. Yeah. And, and I think for me, it was like, I knew that humans and the hospitality industry was always going to be a part of my journey. And so it felt clear that I would go back to RPTA. Uh -huh. Um, and so I think to answer your question, there was so much that happened from start to finish as far as my time at Cal Poly and then in between and then back at Cal Poly. Um, I think that, yeah, that community aspect, like living with roommates is such an experience. I think everyone has to have it. I think the dorms were such an experience. Um, mm -hmm. I really loved, are we talking about RPTA now? Or is it, is, or is it just like the, either, yeah. Either or, yeah, either or, yeah. I was reflecting um, on this with my fiance, but I think something that I remember that stood out and just being something that was so unique and I, and maybe it happens more now, but to me, it just felt like necessary was just like ha having classes outside sometimes and going and sitting with the crew outside yeah. Yeah. and, and like the, the people care aspect of it, like the environmental aspect of being outside and actually sitting in some grass and mm -hmm. sitting in a circle and having a dialogue that was educational, but was also experiential and also calming. Like mm -hmm. it was human. Um, yeah. And I think that was so much of what I appreciated about the major is just like the people care aspect and the social capital aspect. Like I think like that that foundation of um, the human beingness, which yeah. you know I, I'm I'm going to marry a mechanical engineer, and that's just very different. <laughs> and yeah, right. and to hear his Cal Poly experience, he's like, "Yeah, we used to laugh at you kids who were just sitting <laughs> in a circle outside." <laughs> but, I love it. Well, I I should say I, I've heard you say fiance a couple times, so I should yeah. say congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, that's exciting. And he's a he's a Cal Poly kid too. Yep, mechanical awesome. engineering. Awesome. Mechanical yeah, engineering. Awesome. He doesn't do much mechanical engineering now. He's very. He's actually. Um, a professional in permaculture and regenerative agriculture and design. So he's oh, a really amazing resource, but he does have that brain and it works really well in this kind of design for okay. making the world better. Well, we'll have to connect him as well to um, my friend, Matt uh, Grishup. Does he know the Matt Grishup? The, uh, the, the, recently new i mean he's uh matt's been here i guess about nine months maybe um he's the head of the sustainable agriculture at cal poly 
No, but that would be a really good yeah. connection. Yeah. yeah, I would love to make that connection. Sweet. Um, Matt, Matt's a friend of ours, so uh, we can definitely do that. Um, so now let's shift a little bit to that professional development piece, right? Um, is there is there something that you did or, um, and it doesn't have to be school related. You know, I think one of the things that I think is so important about having a mantra of learn by doing is that um, it creates an ethos, right? Where no matter what you do, you recognize that you learn by doing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we don't make that mental connection. You know, a lot of learning is that metacognition of like understanding learning and understanding how you, you know, one of the things, one of the things I'd say to my kids is, um, when I when I ask them, well, tell me what you learned today. Oh, nothing. Like you, know, you you can't go an eight hour period without learning something, right? You 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 did learn, right. but you're not connecting those dots, right? And that's a sad that's sad for me when someone doesn't make those connections. And and so anyway, uh, that's a long way of saying like whatever it might be. What, was there was there something that you did during your 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 time at Cal Poly where you look back and you're like wow, that really helped to propel me professionally to what I'm doing now. Hmm. Yeah, I think so much of what I'm doing is entertaining right now and 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 cooking for people, but I think creating reasons to gather. Um, and food has forever been one of the reasons that humans gather. And I think that that's um, maybe not necessarily something that I did while on campus, but I think at my time at Cal Poly, like we were the household where it was an open door policy and you knew you could find the food. You knew you could rummage through my cupboards. You knew I was probably making food when you came over. And so there would be plenty of it because I always cooked for an army. Um, And I think that that I keep saying social capital, but I think that being in uh, a community of people and especially in slow County who just look for that, look for places to gather and look for reasons to gather. I think that um, for me, it made it clear that that was something that I always wanted to do and to have place also uh, and gathering around things that were really healthy. And so for me, that's where kind of the health element and the value comes into play for Hidden Kitchen is like, there are people with sensitivity, food sensitivities. There are people with preferences for what they eat. There are people who like breakfast or lunch or dinner. And it's like, so long as, (laughs) exactly. And as long as there's food, I'm pretty sure people will come. And that's what I learned. And, you know, that's, that, that started from a pretty young age. I have a very Latin family who always wakes up thinking about food, Uh talks about what we're going to eat for dinner at the breakfast table. Uh Um, and then at Esalen, obviously, it was like, you have your three meals a day where everybody on property comes All and together. shares the space. Yeah. Well, um, well, I just I just love it because I've heard I've heard a, a, a theme running through Amana Serre that that really just makes me smile and makes me think about how lucky people who have been fortunate enough to have you as a friend um, have been over the years, you know, because you talked about the dorm and that communal, and you just talked about how your friends knew that 
you'd always be cooking and they could always come over. And that's not a typical college type of environment, <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, we were, we were like ramen. Uh, we were like ramen noodles for like, uh, you know, 50 cents. Uh, <laughs> so that was our, that was our communal gathering. But, but that's uh, fine too. As long as you have too, ramen yeah. for all. Of course, but no, we weren't cooking it for everybody. It was like one, you know, one of us standing at the stove or, or whatever. But, um, so I just I just love hearing that. And obviously that comes from your roots, um, you know, in Big Sur and Esalen. And, and I just I just love it. So let's talk about um, not to fast forward too far, but um, let, let's talk about um, moving out of Cal Poly. Right. And, and to, to uh, obviously eventually getting to what you're doing now. Um, what was your internship experience um, like? Um, I did, I worked to plan children's day in the plaza for my internship, mm. which was really cool. I've Talk always about full circle, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and I've loved, like, I love children so much. I've always loved just the creativity surrounding experiences for children and how mind blown they can be at like very little planning, but just this just the presence for them, like the container, having the container for kids to just be kids. Um, yeah. So I did that and it was really fun. And it was, you know, like I, I loved watching the different organizations that showed up. I loved watching the kids on the day of, um, I love event planning. I also realized mm -hmm. like, yeah, there's so many moving parts to event planning, but it can be so collaborative and executed so symbiotically and that's how children's day in the plaza feels to me um and it's an outlet for parents to meet each other it's a way to just find something that aligns there's so many organizations that exhibit different values and so finding the one that feels aligned for your family and then pursuing it after children's day in the plaza anyway so that was my internship um oh, was that through uh slow downtown uh downtown slow uh it was through cap slow cap slow okay mm -hmm. awesome. yeah mm-hmm very cool. Yeah. So, so now, now let's talk about that path uh, to to ultimately opening a, a restaurant. Um, so, I, I I feel like I feel like there has to be a story there, and I know that you're a good storyteller. <gasps> so I'm just going to open it up. Um, now, obviously, we're you know you graduated in 2016, and we're now in 2023. So that's seven years. You didn't like just open a restaurant right out of college. So tell us a little bit, um, or or not a little bit. Tell us the story. Um, tell us the story. Hmm, yeah. So when I graduated, trying to remember, I always worked in restaurants. That was just yeah. That's gonna the, say the low hanging fruit. Um, that's what they had, you know, Big Sur has restaurants and that's what you do if you grow up in Big Sur, if you want to live in Big Sur, um, unless you're commuting. So I knew that that was going to be something that helped pay my rent. Um, but I, and, and I worked for a couple of really amazing restaurants. Um, and it was one thing to work for somebody else's dream and vision. And it was another to like, really truly feel like I could stand behind something, which I never did as, um, yeah, I never really stood behind any of the restaurants as far as like, yes, this is what I would totally do this if this was my restaurant. It was right. like, okay, right. this is an amazing experience. These are the connections. I think the restaurant industry also is very community oriented and the people who work within the restaurant industry, like everyone in slow knows everyone else who works in the restaurant industry. So yeah, I was serving, um, 
I was serving at one of the restaurants downtown and simultaneously had decided to kind of branch off and start getting creative. I was making jewelry and selling at these fun makers markets around town and making clothing and was sort of like tapping into a little bit more of like the creative hand textiles and, and goods, I guess. Um, And then and met a gal pal while doing that who was making ghee, which is clarified butter. Uh Um, And she at the time was looking for a kitchen uh, for her to make her ghee a commercial kitchen. And it had always been a fantasy of mine. I never thought I would stay here. I thought I was going to go to Costa Rica and start like a little smoothie shack. But that was one of the things that I did when I was in college. It was like I had the really good blender and I would always make these awesome smoothie bowls for everyone. Um, And then after college too and the different households that I lived in. So uh-huh. she found this spot in Cambria um and she called me and was just like I found the spot. The rent is $200 a month. What? It would be stupid for us to not do something with this. I was like, "Okay, let's do it. I have a blender." And uh-huh. I had just gone, I had just come back from this trip to Sayulita, Mexico. Uh-huh. Um, and I had gone to this cafe called the blue corn mama cafe Mm. where everything that they did was blue corn. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't gluten-free, but I did have a blue corn waffle while I was there. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at my fiance, I was like, wow, we should make a blue corn waffle. That's gluten-free when we get back home. So we packed up a bunch of masa in our suitcases in Mexico and flew back to the U S and like right before my friend had reached out about this space, we had this waffle off with spreadsheets and ingredients with some (laughs) other friends and we made (laughs) like the blue corn waffle. And it was like, okay, cool. Now I have this idea of whatever, when I start my restaurant one day, I'll figure it out. Then I get the call. That's like, I found the spot. So we go up there we I think we opened our doors October 2018 for like a week. Um, there was a scarecrow festival happening up in Cambria, and basically no one came at all. It was like we're the hidden kitchen. We're on the back patio of this art gallery that's closed half the time, and uh-huh. and we're really, really, really hard to find. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> So I think then like the Square Cove Festival happened then the weekend after it was Halloween. And so uh, my fiance has a daughter. And at the time she was maybe three or four and was like the cutest little human ever. And so we dressed her up in a little ladybug costume and had her carry out to the uh, street. She brought out a plate of samples and just sort of like said, uh-huh. look, there, there's blue corn waffles there. There's, you know, there's something happening on the patio. And so we uh-huh. we ended up getting a few community members in. Um, and then slowly but surely it was like, okay, there's Word something spread. happening on the patio on this back little zone that is uh-huh. really hard to find. And um, and then began the journey of Hidden Kitchen. And we kind of, you know, we we were put on the Yelp map, which was really helpful. And mm-hmm. um, I think the Tribune featured us in something. And, and so people started driving up and hearing about this all gluten-free place and mm-hmm. really fun smoothies that are like you know, overflowing, but thick consistency and blue corn mm. waffles. What's that? Yeah. And then it was like you know, savory blue corn waffles, sweet blue corn. And so we just kind of like, we just played into it. And it was like, this is going to be the weirdest thing you've had all day, but it's going to taste really good. It's made with really clean ingredients, like yep. no seed or processed oils. It's like clean stuff. You're going to leave feeling full, but your stomach's not going to hurt. So right. it's like, we, you know, like, 
we began building this story of of food tasting good, feeling good, um, mm-hmm. and being kind of unique. And then, so that was our Cambria spot. Yeah. Um, and then we thought we were actually going to lose our lease up there, which you know it was two hundred dollars a month is the best deal ever. And even imagine, I can't even believe that. I, Me I don't either. <laughs> I think that's probably the like biggest reason that it made sense because starting a restaurant is such oh, an yeah. undertaking so and so hard. overwhelming. And that as like first restaurant and as like spearheading this concept that could have been so bad or really good, uh, mm-hmm. it felt like just a really good starting place um yeah and then the lease was kind of on the table and and the building was up for sale so we we knew that if it sold there was a possibility that the new landlord would say sorry we want to do something else on the back patio so i started putting my feelers out for kind of more of a restaurant because if you ever go to cambria our cambria location you'll notice it's like what you see is what you get. We're all outdoors. You have this kind of little taco truck size building that's covered in ivy, which is so beautiful, but it's really small. And it's technically a limited food prep kitchen. So you can't uh-huh. do all the things that we were doing there. And we needed to have a more commercial kitchen to continue operating there. Right. So I've had a friend who had just purchased this huge restaurant in Cayucas, Um it used to be called Skipper's Restaurant, and the uh, Skipper's, the owner of Skipper's, had retired. Um, and our friends bought the building and kind of made a joke that they had this. They knew of a p- person who had a really big restaurant for rent, and and it was like, oh my gosh, this is really really big, and it's very antiquated, and there's a lot of work that we have to do to turn this into the vibe that we're going to need for this place. Right. Um, but we did it, and yeah. it was very impulsive um and and you know like this i think we signed the lease in january the same day that my fiance proposed to me and it was like okay we're going on the life ride we're going on the business ride Uh and then we just like put our heads down we built everything out we had work parties with all of our friends i don't think we hired a single contractor we just had all of our friends come and do painting projects and build the bar we had our amazing woodworker friends build this incredible bar that is the most beautiful bar you'll ever see oh and they did goodness. it for food trade because they knew we would yeah. you know we would give it. it give it back to them i um, was gonna say do they get to eat for free <laughs> forever, forever forever they get to eat for I free love it That's um so great and then we picked our heads up in march and we're like we're ready to open it's march 2020 and we opened for one day and oh. then we looked at the news and they were like yeah, there's a pandemic that's happening globally and you're going to have to close down and go to take out only. And it was mm-hmm. just like, oh my gosh, what have we done? Yeah. I um, imagine what that was like one day. Yeah. I knew, I knew there had to be a story, Amana Sarah, because when I saw, I was like, you know, I mean, I, I came in, I, I found out about, um, about your venture. I, I found out about Hidden Kitchen after the pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what, what? She started a restaurant during the pandemic. How did that work? I'm like, and I, and I actually was like, I cannot wait to talk to her because I'm sure there is a story there. Right. And so um, what happened? How did you do it? Well, my recommendation would be to not start a restaurant <laughs> during the pandemic, right. but uh, <laughs> we didn't really we didn't know that we were doing that. And I think we had heard 
anyway, it was fine. I think it turned out to be a blessing in disguise, just like everything in life is. And it happened exactly the way it was supposed to. Um, I think the forced shutdown sort of had us go back to the drawing board in some ways. We had just kind of been sprinting to get open. And I don't think that we would have been prepared for the capacity that we had signed ourselves up for. Like, uh, yeah. So I think that having, you know, we had these amazing windows that were already opening and closing as far as takeout goes. So it's like, let's just put all the food out the window. We have this epic patio so we can have people walk around and sit on the patio when that became an option for people. Um, And that's the majority of our seating anyway in both locations is just outdoor. Um, We're right next to the beach in Cayucas and we're on this beautiful enclosed patio in in Cambria. So yeah, uh, it was fine. We did a GoFundMe also that just basically it was sort of like donate now. And then in June, we will issue you a gift card with, you know, plus 20 percent um, to be used at Hidden Kitchen, which ended up being really good impetus for people to kind of invest in us, but also know that they were going to be getting a gift card at some point. And um, it helped us stay afloat. And uh, yeah, it was sort of like, how do we get creative right now? Because this is insane. What's happening in the world is insane. Right. Um, and we persevered. I don't know. I guess like it was perfect. Yeah. It, again, it was just perfect. I think we got to expand the menu. Uh, we really got to grow into the space. Uh Um, you know, we, we learned for me, I learned like what having an actual commercial kitchen felt like. And at that point I was our cook. I was doing all our prep. I was doing the scheduling. I was doing payroll. There was just like so many hats that I was wearing. And I think I would have exploded my brain if it was full-fledged restaurant. We didn't have enough staff. Like we were open in both locations because turns out a friend bought the Cambria building and then wanted us to stay on the patio so it's like now we're doing two restaurants like that wasn't even intentional right um i love it so it like hidden kitchen has been so fun and uh like so much of it was i don't want to say accidental but it was serendipitous in a way that Mm. i just kind of went with it the whole time Mm -hmm. and it was just like saying yes to the experience and hoping that i could figure it out and i'm the kind of gal that's like sign myself up for something and then figure it out instead of calculating all the things beforehand, which has gotten me into trouble in many, many moments of my life, but has also been really good learning um, and an awesome opportunity to just get scrappy too. Right, right. And, and, you know, I love what you said about serendipity and, and, um, you know, I I love also the perspective that, that you, you, you put on it, right. That um, uh, obviously, you know, we're not trying to make light of a global pandemic. And, and obviously that was, um, you know, a, an incredibly tough time for so many, but I think what you said there about the, um, you know, I've been associated with a number, a couple of restaurants that opened and weren't really ready to open and, and trying to convince people after they've had a negative experience Right, which is really hard to make a positive experience for people right off the get right out of the gate, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you start sending people out into the world who are like, uh, yeah, you know, I, I went, but service kind of was bad. I waited forever or whatever, right? Because yeah. which which when you think about it, 
right? In any other instance, you're like, hey, they're trying to figure it out, right? You know, what I mean, like, come on. Like, I, I can think about like even I, I was I was working for the Carolina Hurricanes um, when they opened a brand new building. They moved to 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 Raleigh, mm-hmm. and we opened a new building. And that first night, parking, the only headline, it wasn't that, you know, anything about the game. It was that people waited forever in line for parking, right? And they got it figured out the next night. Oh, dang. But for years, I would talk to people and they would be like, oh, no, I would never go to that. I heard it was awful. Like traffic and parking was a nightmare. And I'm like, that was just the first night. Totally. There's no grace. Like, I guess. And, and that's like the human, that's like the human negotiation. It's people with their high expectations and that's okay. Like part of being a host is providing the experience and Mm -hmm. something that I think is uh, what I'm learning a lot about is, is that the businesses that I respect the most are really transparent. And it's like, that's, that's kind of where we went with it. It's like, love it. We have no idea what's happening right now in the world. <laughs> right. But this is something that we're going to try on and we're hoping that it works. And the bottom line is we really want to be here and we really want to be this place for you guys. Yeah. And we're probably going to need a little bit of grace from you. And we're going to do our very best. Like we are here every day and we are working super, super hard. So right. I think that the humanness piece too, like inevitably there's going to be people who are un... uh who will never be pleased because that's mm-hmm. just the way that they woke up that day. Yeah. But I think humans have good hearts and and I, this has yeah. been kind of an interesting uh just concept for me to navigate because I think I like really really believe in humans. Like I do think that human beings have so much potential and we can be so good. Um yeah. And that's gotten me into trouble too, but I think that if <laughs> if we just recognize and yeah. identify our humanness, it's like man, we were having a bad day or like the next day they figured it out. The parking was fixed the next day. Just give them another chance. It's, it's that kind of, uh, anyway, it's, it's the human negotiation. Exactly. So let's talk about, you know, I, I love, um, I, I have to admit that, um, I haven't personally gone to hidden kitchen yet and I'm sorry. sorry (laughs) I haven't made it up there. Uh, Drusha, Drusha has a couple of times and just raves about it. And everybody I've talked to, it's so funny. Like once I, once I found out about it, um, I would, I, you know, I've been, you know how I am. I talk to, I talk a lot. Right. And so (laughs) I'll share and I'll be like, oh yeah. So we know the, the owner and they're like, Oh my God, it is the best place. It is so great. Like everybody I've talked to. And so I just want to talk to you about that. Um, you know, growing up at Esalen and, and mm-hmm. growing up with that communal type thing that you talk about with your family and 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 food being such a gathering, it feels like you've created that vibe with Hidden Kitchen. Um, can you talk about what that's like and how, you know, I've been, I I don't know if you know this or not, but I was a I was a server and a restaurant manager and all of that. I know about restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a tendency to kind of, I don't know, get a little bit burned out on it, right? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's trying to create, trying to co-create that experience can be a little bit overwhelming and can sometimes, how do you, how do you keep that? How do you keep that communal spirit? Is it, is it just in your nature that you just wake up every day wanting to be communal? How do you, how do you navigate that? 
Hmm. I think there's a lot there. I think something that I learned from my upbringing and at Esalen is that people are people. And I think I talk about this. I've already talked about this, but Mm -hmm. you don't wake up every day feeling great. Right. There's not always inspiration, but something that I really appreciated about Esalen was that there was consistency and you could show up how you were. Um, you rested, you know, like hidden kitchen is not open every day. We're not open for dinner most days. I mean, we're open. We just started being open for dinner once a week, but when I started it, it was like, how do I buck the, the system a little bit here? Mm-hmm. How do I open a restaurant that actually works for me? Knowing that the restaurant industry is insane and that yeah, people yeah. do burn out. And it's a super, super intense environment for everybody who works within it. I mean, I worked with, yeah, anyway, I won't get into that, but there was, that was the foundation. It was like, we're going to be open, maybe even seasonally. We'll see our rent is really low right now. So for our first location, we closed during the winter because we had other things happening. I was generating money in a different way. And, Mm -hmm. um, we could, and it was all outdoors. And it was like, why would we show up when if it's raining and no one else is showing up? Right. Or Cayucas, we just opened on Tuesdays, but we are closed Tuesday, Wednesday every week to give our staff a weekend. Like, so to answer your question, um, I think the value of people care, mm-hmm. um, the value of earth care mm-hmm. and the value of fair share. Um, culture in restaurants is really important. It can be really polarized, but I think that, um, leading from the middle is something that I've always prided myself on. And if I'm not willing to do it, then why would I expect anybody else to? So that's why I cook on the weekends. And I am like leading the storm on these days where we're just like, we can't see up or down. We're just like, what is happening? Um, Right. You're just slinging, you're slinging waffles. We're slinging waffles. I know. And it's, and it's fun, but we all get to sit there and it's like, yeah, there it's just waffles, you know, like we don't need to be stressed about this. It's, it's like high and it's high vibes. It's intensity. But like at the end of the day, we all sit down and just, and, and look at each other and say, you know, we, we just did that and yeah. good work, everyone. I'm like, shift yeah. drink for everyone. Like, right. what do you guys need? Right. So I think um, the value, the culture, instilling the, the people care aspect. Like when I when I talk to my staff about the experience that we want to be providing for people, it's like, and I don't know, once you meet my staff, you're going to be blown away. I have the most amazing staff of all time. And some of them are my friends like that. We start, we started Hidden Kitchen with just a group of friends and other people have kind of gone off to do their thing. But yeah. the people know the standard and right. people know the standard of care that we have for the experience. And they really stand behind the food because they know that it's clean. They know that where it comes from, they are educated on the values. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I think, because I'm happy to talk about it too. Like we don't have anything to hide. Right. Um, well, you, well, you just did my job for me as an interviewer. You know, I was going to ask you like one of the things that has been so difficult coming out of the pandemic is getting, um, getting people, um, getting a staff that you can trust and that you can, um, you know, that can be, um, you know, can can ultimately help you co-create experiences, and you just answered that, right? And so, uh, uh, so it's so it's about values. It's about it's about standing behind something, uh, yeah. experience that you can 
that you can um that you can feel like you every day you stand behind even if you're not feeling so well or whatever right um and, and, and like communicating if you're not feeling well you know i try to make myself super available for honest check-ins and feedback and it's like hey you're having a tough day what can i do how can i show up for you do you want me to take over for the day and it's like mm-hmm. when we all know we're not like a a typical restaurant where you have really like a front of house versus back of house mm-hmm. energy it's all everyone knows how to do everything which is really really helpful it evens the playing field and in turn every the the tips are sh- are shared equally too so it's like everybody people have you know we have managers and general managers we have a couple people who I'm profit sharing with like mm-hmm. the the but the the fair share model and the sharing of duties too nobody feels like they're yeah. doing more than others nobody everyone and if they do then it's really easy for people to ask for what they need um so i think that that kind of availability too to kind of be a presence and show up and ask for what you need and also compromise and and yeah. it's like a family you know <laughs> yeah yeah you spend so much time with the people you work with in general and then when you're in high work, intensity work environments nice environment, you just yeah. it just sort of catapults you into human being training yeah um yeah. and and navigating everything together yeah, I love that because uh, you know I I knew what you meant when you said um, restaurants can be polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you you um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were meaning back of house and front of house. You know, because I, I've been in situations um, like that where it was very much like mm-hmm. uh, conflict, and mm-hmm. uh, and most of the time the conflict um, revolves around a, a couple different things: people not understanding each other. Right. And the front of the house, not understanding what the back of the house is going through and vice mm-hmm. versa. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, also the, the financial model is one where the back of the house sometimes feels, um, uh, you know, like they're almost uh, second class citizens because they're not getting tips and, yep. you know, and and they're they're seeing, you know, like random random um waiter or waitress uh you know who just started walking away with like two hundred dollars in tips one night and they didn't even make that for the week or whatever and so totally yeah you know I I love that you have um you have recognized that and I think that's just that's a lot of different things I would think. I would think that's your experience in restaurants and in your experience in Esalen and growing up, it seems like you've been able to create a model that that you would have wanted to be working in yourself, right? And that that you value. Is that right? Yeah. And I think I really want, you know, especially because young people are such a huge part of restaurant culture as far as employment goes. I really want it to be within reach for people. I really want it to be an experience that can like for me, it was such a growth inducing experience the whole time I was in restaurants and each restaurant I worked in was completely different. And I think you know, being able to stand behind something at a young age and in this really like important age too, um, that being the work environment, I think restaurants have come so far and they are continuing, you know, I think the standard is, is higher now, um, within the restaurant industry, but I just think it's such a crucial industry for these young people. It needs to be a healthy one. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, well, Amana Sarah, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time today out of your busy schedule. Um, I promise you, I'm going to, in fact, um, spring break is coming up. 
I this, know. This, this will air. Uh, this will air after spring break. But um, okay. So by the time this airs, I will have eaten at Hidden Kitchen. I promise. Uh, I promise that I'm gonna. I'm gonna come up over <laughs> spring break and um and come see you. And um, I just I can't tell you enough how proud how proud I am of you. And and um, it's just uh, it's just so exciting. And um, and I encourage all of our listeners to go and and see Amana Sarah at Hidden Kitchen. Tell uh, tell her you're an RPTA. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, experience industry management and um uh the last thing that i'll leave uh, that, that, that i would like to leave with is um if you had some advice for junior senior year i'm on a sarah what would uh what would that advice be mm. something that i wish i had focused more on was just like being there for it you know College only, I mean, you can go to college, I guess, as many times as you want, but just right. slowing down and, and especially at Cal Poly, it's such a beautiful campus. There's so many resources. There's so much beauty around it. Like just be there, be just, yeah, I'd say slowing down and being present for this time in your life. Like what an amazing time to be alive. I love it. I love it. Such great advice. Thank you so much, Amana Sarah. Um, Thank you. You you are amazing. We are so proud of you. Um, uh, Keep crushing it. And uh, I can't wait to eat some blue corn waffle. I'm glad. I'm glad to talk to you. And I'm really excited to see your face up there. All right. (laughs) Talk uh, soon. Bye. Bye.